Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. So we are beginning a new sermon series this morning for the next 10 weeks in the book of Colossians, this little New Testament letter. Um, so beginning today, going up until just before Advent, Christmas season, we'll be spending time in this rich yet small letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, uh, this wonderful community uh, in the Mediterranean region. And we're focusing primarily on what it means to live for Christ's kingdom. So I mentioned earlier, that's what our church is about, for Christ's kingdom and the flourishing of Salem. Um, it'd be helpful for us to really understand fully what that means to live for Christ's kingdom. And Colossians has a, a, a very heavy emphasis on the kingdom of God, particularly Christ's kingdom and what it means to live in that reality. So uh, join us on this journey for these next 10 Sundays as we go through Colossians together. Um, obviously, because we're focusing on the kingdom, I was thinking a lot about kingdoms this week, and in particular, why we are so drawn to them. Um, you know, from the magic kingdom in Disney World to the United Kingdom in England, which by the way, I was thinking of this before the United Kingdom became such a global news story this week because of the, the death of Queen Elizabeth uh, this past week. But now I think the idea of a kingdom or a monarchy is really on a lot of our minds um, because of her death. And now there's a, a transition of monarchs happening today um, from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles. And so... 
interesting to think about kingdoms, right? Uh, you know, my girls, I have two young girls, and we love watching princess movies together. There's something about kings and queens and castles and uh, just the adventure of, of kingdoms that draws our heart into something. Um, but even in real monarchies, I think there's this kind of, there's our, uh, an interesting thought we have towards them. Um, you can have different opinions, I guess. You know, I was reading an article from 2021. It's a New York Times article. The, the title of the article is, Why Are We So Obsessed with Royalty? Monarchies are surprisingly resilient in real life and in popular culture. Are we hardwired to respect the throne? And so, again, this was even before Queen Elizabeth's death. Just why are we so drawn to kingdoms, to monarchies? The article was interesting. It talked about how, you, know, you may remember a couple of years ago when Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle, um, you know, were very public in the news about a lot of things, about racism and about just kind of their struggles living in a royal family. Um, when Oprah Winfrey did an interview with them, do you remember this a couple of years ago? 17 million people tuned in to watch it. I mean, there's something about royalty and kingdoms that just draws us in, um, for better or for worse. But the person writing this article, they were, they are similar to me. They have young children, um, who kind of live in the princess world. And she says this, she says, the concept of royalty manages to be both enduringly compelling and entirely natural, so much that it can occupy a four-year-old's entire imaginary world. If princesses suddenly cease to exist, I'm quite sure that my daughter would reinvent them, which is, I totally agree, having young daughters myself. Um, so let's consider that question this morning. What is it about kingdoms that draw us in? Um, and let me just use Queen Elizabeth's words to kind of get us started and transition into Colossians. A lot of her famous quotes have been read recently, these last few days, and here's one of them. This was on her first televised Christmas broadcast in 1957. She said this, young Queen Elizabeth, I cannot lead you into battle. I do not give you laws or administer justice but I can do something else. I can give you my heart and my devotion to these old islands and to the peoples of our brotherhood of nations. Even she recognizes, she said, I can't be a military leader. I actually don't really have the power to make laws, but I can give you my heart and I can love you as a mother of the nation, essentially. In Colossians, verses 1 to 14, if you notice the last two verses, verses 13 and 14, it begins to tell us about a new kingdom that we are invited into. It says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing I want to point out this morning is that right now, reality is that we are living in two kingdoms or the potential of two kingdoms. Colossians, Paul in, in, in this letter to the Colossian church teaches them that there are two kingdoms that are possible. 
One of them he refers to as the domain of darkness, and the other he refers to as the kingdom of his beloved son, of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. So let's just talk a, a second about these two kingdoms um, and what this, what this can teach us today. So first, we have this, this kingdom that Paul refers to as the domain of darkness. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, when humanity rebelled and went their own way and sin entered the world, uh, what Paul is saying is there has been a darkness that has covered the land. The darkness is the curse of sin and brokenness that now affects every one of us from birth. Whole-scale sin for every person. Utter brokenness for the whole of creation. And that's a reality that we live into. The reason there is suffering, the reason that there is pain, is because of, of humanity's choice to try to, to try to create a kingdom on their own. A rebellion from the beginning. But I think also what, what needs to be said here too, which is interesting timing because we're beginning September and we're in the city of Salem and um, a lot of interesting things will happen in the next six to eight weeks in our surrounding community. But one of the interesting things here that's also that needs to be pointed out that we'll get into as Colossians goes on, and it, it's mentioned throughout the New Testament as well, is it's not just you know a cloud that's covering our world that's causing brokenness and sin, but there's actually also an active resistance to the real kingdom that exists. And that active resistance is led by a deceiver, led by Satan himself, the devil, who is Literally, the, the, the word devil in Greek just means the one who splits, the one who causes division, the one who, who accuses one of being something that they're not and deceives and leads people astray. He is leading an active rebellion against God's true kingdom. And so this whole world, because of sin, is naturally now in that kingdom unless you are transferred into something else. And that's where he says in verse in the second part of verse 13, he says, you were in the domain of darkness, but by believing in Jesus, you actually have been, three things happened. One, you have been delivered from, transferred to, and then finally you have redemption in. So first, deliverance from. The kingdom of God, the true kingdom, the true kingdom that we were originally created into, God's perfect kingdom, God's perfect world, and the one that is now opened again to us because of Christ's death and resurrection, delivers us from the domain of darkness and into uh, the kingdom of his glorious light. But first, we need to be taken out of where we currently are. And that's where Paul begins. He says you need to be delivered from this domain of darkness. We are, we are stuck in the darkness. And we cannot get ourselves out of it. This spiritual land of sin and death and despair. Jesus came as our savior to take us out of that pit of despair. It is the one rescue mission of all time. Of us not being able to escape it on our own. It's like the ultimate quicksand that you can't escape, of, escape out of yourself. But you need someone to come and come to your situation, deliver you out of it. Through his own goodness, God has done that for us in Christ. This is what salvation is, is it's a delivery ministry. 
of someone, Jesus, coming to us in our deepest, darkest place, coming into that darkness, entering into our reality, and delivering us away from it. And that's why we sing songs like In Christ Alone, because it's in Christ that he is the one who has come into our state. He is God in the flesh, came willingly into darkness, into the world of sin to deliver us out because he is the only one who has the way out. There is salvation in no one else is what Acts chapter four says. So he delivers us out of the domain of darkness. And then it says he transfers us to, transfers us to this new place, to this new reality. You see, we don't just need an escape from the domain of darkness into a neutral space. We need a transfer to the real place that we always were meant to be. You know, I think of weeding a garden, for instance. If you have a garden and you're pulling up weeds, that's great. You know, you'll, you'll make some progress, but it's really more helpful if you plant new, beautiful, healthy things in that garden, because that actually will then eliminate more of the weeds long-term. You see, by planting good things in it, it keeps the weeds more at bay. And that's the same for us, is it's not just deliverance from a bad situation, it's a transfer to a new situation. In Christ, not only have we been delivered out of darkness, but into his kingdom, and only Jesus can take us there. Let me just give a, a few things about what, what his kingdom actually is. Because before we talk about what the benefits of the kingdom are, which is what we're going to do in just a moment, let me just give you just a taste of what Christ's kingdom actually is from scripture. His kingdom is forever. It has no end. Luke 1.33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Every other kingdom will pass away. God's kingdom will never. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness. Isaiah 9.7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then just one last thing. His kingdom is not just forever. His kingdom is here in our midst now. Luke 17, 20 to 22 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, the kingdom of God comes through redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. It says here in verse 13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption. In Christ alone, in God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, he has redeemed us, meaning he has bought our ransom price with his own life 
so that we can be transferred into this glorious kingdom of light, both today in our midst and ultimately forever in his kingdom in heaven. So that makes Jesus the real king. Queen Elizabeth reigns for a long time over England, and now it's King Charles, and there are other kingdoms and monarchies that have come and gone. But Jesus is the king that is reigning today, reigning tomorrow, reigning forever, and he invites us into his kingdom. He is the real king because he is worthy because of his sinless life and glorious resurrection. He is reigning today as king, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you and me. And he is coming again to fully complete the mission of redemption and to make all things new and to completely eliminate the domain of darkness from ever coming again. The kingdom means that Jesus is the only one in whom true redemption comes. He lives in us. We live in him. He is our everything. In him, we find the true kingdom of God because he is the king. The king is the one who transfers us to the new place. So with all that being said, let's get into the practical for you and I today. What does it mean to live for Christ's kingdom? This is going to be the theme for the next 10 weeks. But let's, let's get into some really exciting things, I think, from the meat of this passage, verses 3 to 12, some things to take with you. There's a lot here in this passage. And so, again, I only get a limited amount of time, but I pray that uh, what I can share a little bit would be an encouragement to you. A couple of things here. Christ's kingdom coming means that everything has changed. By Jesus rising on the third day, which we believe in faith, and through the validity of the Holy Scriptures that we take as truth. It means that the world's existence and our experience has been completely transformed. That what once was bleak and marred with the shadow of darkness, now a glorious new light has dawned. It's like a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. Who can explain that? A metamorphosis for the world has taken place. A full-scale new reality for the history of the world. Jesus has made all things new. And I, I've identified six quick things that the kingdom of God transforms for you and I today. So let's, again, I'll have to go kind of quick. But let me just give you these six things. Verses 3 and 4. Number one, the kingdom of God transforms prayer. We now can pray kingdom-oriented prayers. What is kingdom prayer, you may ask? Kingdom prayer means praying for more than just yourself or your own circumstances or your own community or even your own church. Kingdom prayer is praying for those that you will never meet, praying for people you will never know, praying for other churches' success and growth praying for other people's good and well-being, and praying for the whole world. I was so blessed this week. I went to Starbucks yesterday with my youngest daughter, Clara, and I sat down next to a, uh, a professor from Gordon-Conwell that I recognized. So I said, hi, good to see you. And so we had a, a little chat. And then his wife came by, who I'd never met before, and she said, and she asked who I was, and um, I said, oh, I'm Stephen. I'm a pastor in Salem. And she said, oh, we go to North Shore Community Baptist Church, and every Friday morning, we pray for your church. 
every Friday morning, they pray for us. This little group of four or five people. That's kingdom prayer. And that's why we try to pray for the world every week, try to pray for the good of the community. And we probably should do a better job of praying for other churches more explicitly. But what an amazing gift that was to hear from her. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, is what it says here in Colossians. The kingdom of God transforms prayer. Number two, the kingdom of God transforms hope. Look at verse five. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see, I mean, most of the time when we use the word hope in the world today, it it can be easily synonymous with the phrase wishful thinking. But true kingdom hope is no longer just wishful thinking or hoping that something might happen. But hope is now a place that is being prepared for you because of the certainty of what Christ has done. It is a destination of certainty. The hope laid up for you in heaven. Hope is a place that is being prepared for us who believe in Christ. Number three, the kingdom of Christ transforms the news. Anybody watch the news still? (laughs) If you do, you're a brave soul because it's a scary place and a negative place. But look at the second part of verse five. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The news today on the TV or the internet or the social media is fairly sad and pessimistic. And sadly, some of it's not even true. And it's hard to even know what's true or not true sometimes based on which service you're going to, right? Which channel you're on, which, which site you're on. It's just, it's, there's a lot of mess. There's a lot of mess with the news. But the kingdom of God has given us good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news in the person of Jesus. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ will come again. And nothing can outlast that good news. No circumstance on the news or negativity in the world can shake the good news of Jesus, of him coming and paying the full price of our ransom. And it tells us here that it is the word of truth that we have heard. It's just so reassuring to have good truth that you can rely on. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Number four, the kingdom of God transforms the ordinary. Look at verses six and seven now. You're about to be introduced to a person that you will read about once, maybe twice in the whole Bible and never hear from again. It's this man named Epaphras. Verse seven, it says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So the kingdom of God transforms the ordinary. What I mean by that is this. Epaphras is just like you and me. A random, ordinary person who we know nothing about From what we understand, he's not rich, he's not famous, he's not influential. He is a fellow servant, is how he's described. A fellow servant. He's not a special disciple or a big name. 
He's an ordinary, everyday person. But the reality of the kingdom of God reigning means that Epaphras goes from an ordinary, obscure, everyday person to a person with deep purpose and opportunity in the world. Because he's described in this passage as being a faithful minister of Christ who teaches the Colossian church the good news that will change their life forever. He can make a world of difference, a global impact, and his name is now written in the scriptures simply because he was faithful. His life has been transformed just through humble, faithful messaging of Jesus. And it says he lived his life on your behalf, on the Colossian church's behalf. So there is no ordinary person in the kingdom of God. None. A person who could normally just anonymously go through life with no extraordinary influence now has been transformed to have eternal impact. And that includes you. And that includes me. And that includes us. Every person is distinctly and uniquely used for the eternal purposes of God, simply by being a faithful minister on your behalf. Number five, the kingdom of God transforms spirituality. Verses eight and nine, it tells, it begins by saying, verse eight, and he has made known to us your love and the spirit. I, I was struck this week by how short that verse is. It's, it starts halfway through a thought. It starts with the word and, which means it's halfway through a thought. And yet when they were putting the verses in the scriptures, they chose to make this its own special verse, which to me, I think is a little uh, eye-opening to me. Like I should focus in on something here. And I think what, we should, what we're told to focus in on is the presence of the Holy Spirit, your love in the spirit. Again, we live in a city where spirituality is a high value. Salem, Massachusetts may have the highest value on spirituality of any city that I know, maybe outside of Jerusalem. <laughs> Salem is a spiritual pilgrimage place for people looking for spirituality, right? We're gonna see that in the next month and a half. But the kingdom of God being real and being in our midst means that that longing for spiritual connectedness now has been transformed into trueness. Jesus' kingdom truly fulfills the possibility of living in full touch with the spiritual realm. And so verse 9, it says, From the day we first heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you see that? Who doesn't want spiritual wisdom and understanding? But through the kingdom of God, we are given full access to spiritual wisdom, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul is thinking here that full spirituality can be unlocked through Christ. And this means that we can fully discern the will of God because we know him that well. And then the last one here, the sixth one. This is what you might call a catch-all because there's a lot happening in verses 10 to 12. The reality of Christ's kingdom transforms everything you can do in life. Transforms everything you can do in life. 
don't you just wish that you could have the assurance that all your best efforts would actually amount to something? Or that all your good intentions would work out? Or that your work would be impactful? Or the way you live out your relationships would be encouraging to people? Or that God would accept your life as pleasing? What these verses teach us is that in the kingdom of God's economy, all those things can be answered with a yes. You can now be, as it says, fully pleasing to God. God looks at you now and is fully pleased with you if you are in Christ. He is unable to be unpleased with you. It says here, you can bear fruit in every good work. Every work that you do will bear fruit in the kingdom of God. Think about how many times you go to work and you you do something and then there's no fruit that comes from it. And you're like, well, that was a waste of a day. What was the point of doing that work? In the kingdom of God, every work you do will bear fruit, it says. It says here you will increase in the knowledge of God. How many times have you studied for a test really hard and failed? (laughs) Because our knowledge just doesn't always transfer into success. In the kingdom of God, it says you will increase in your knowledge of God. You will know him. You will promise to know him if you seek him with your full heart. It says here you will be strengthened with all power. How many times have you gone to the gym and lifted weights or run on a treadmill and said, this is going to help me you know, be better in shape or to, to lift heavier things or to be in better health? And then a couple weeks later, you're like, I actually gained five pounds somehow. <laughs> How many times does it work out like that in life? But in the kingdom of God, you will be strengthened with all power because it's coming from the source of all life. And then verse 12, I just love this. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How many times have you applied for a job, set up your resume, gone through all the schooling, all the training to get the job that you think is perfect for you, and then the person on on the back end of it says, You know, you're just not quite qualified. But you say, but I I meet every qualification on the list. In the kingdom of God, it's not you that qualify yourself. It says he has qualified you. You're not the one that has to be qualified. None of us actually are because we live in the domain of darkness. God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. So you and I get to be in the kingdom of God because God delights in us to be there, even though we don't deserve it. He qualifies us. We can be fully pleasing to him, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. It's by his grace that he has unlocked this amazing kingdom for us to taste now and to live into fully in eternity. So the next 10 weeks, we just get to learn what it means to live in this short time on earth for that kingdom, both individually and as a church. How can we be a church that lives for the kingdom of God? 
to do everything we can to advance that kingdom, to invite people into this, this group of unqualified people who are going to be journeying together towards an amazing hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Let me finish by giving you two final um, quotes. I'll give you another Queen Elizabeth quote because she lived an amazing life. This is a story of um, one of her chaplains. So she had, she had chaplains that would minister in the palace with her and would teach scripture to her. And one time, one of her chaplains had been preaching on the second coming of Christ. And afterward, in conversation with the chaplain, the queen said, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. And the chaplain said, why? Why does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? And the queen replied with quivering lips and her whole countenance lighted up by the deep emotion, quote, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. One kingdom that will fade, one king that will last forever. She longed for that day. But let me finish with this quote by U2, the band. It's from the song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. So this is Bono that probably wrote these lyrics. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. I have spoke with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Bono knows that the kingdom of God is here, but we're still journeying towards it. Just like Queen Elizabeth, who has now laid her crown down at the feet of her savior. May you and I learn to do that as well. Let me close us in prayer. We'll sing a final song together. King Jesus, we crown you the Lord of all. As we journey towards you through life, we pray that you would teach us what it means to live for your kingdom that will never end and to keep perspective of what it means to live in this land now. We want to live for your kingdom even as we live uh, in, this, in this land here. So teach us to live um, totally transformed. And may the book of Colossians be a deep encouragement to us in these weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray.